where did SARS-CoV-2 come from? How did it wind up in Wuhan? That is a question that, of course, remains the subject of much study, a lot of speculation, and no end of geopolitics. Finding the answers has been a challenge with investigations hindered by what my, what my next guest described in a recent piece in the Global Mail as incomplete and inaccessible early data, widespread speculation, conflicts of interest, and an increasingly toxic political climate that has undermined scientific expertise and methods. But now, an international team of biologists, evolutionary biologists, and statisticians, including my next guest, say they have answers and can confidently say the pandemic began at the Huanan Wholesale Seafood Market in Wuhan, with all evidence pointing resoundingly, they say, at zoonotic spillover. In other words, transmission from live animals sold there. And joining me now is Michael Warraby. He's a Canadian evolutionary biologist and professor and head of the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at the University of Arizona. He is among 18 authors of the Huanan Seafood Wholesale Market in Wuhan, was the early epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic article, um, which was co-led by Dr. Warby and published in the peer-review academic journal Science. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Great to be here. Thanks a lot. So this has been been a real, I mean, a political football as for one, but kind of the Rosetta Stone of, of, of medical mysteries. Where did COVID come from? What did you set out to find and what was your hypothesis going in? Yeah, you know, I have been working on this pretty much since day one of the outbreak. Um, and I have kept an open mind to... To all possibilities, uh, including, you know, people will have will have heard this idea that it, it came from a lab and there was a lab in in uh, this city, uh, Wuhan, that studied these viruses. Um, and I actually uh, spearheaded a, a letter uh, in Science magazine about a year ago that was very influential, where 18 of us uh, scientists said, you know, it's too early to say either way. And so let's let's keep an open mind about both. That letter really led to the lab leak idea becoming more mainstream. Uh, it led to President Biden's 90-day intelligence review where he got his uh, spy and law enforcement agencies to, to look into whatever they could find, which was not a heck of a lot. Because at the end of the day, this is a scientific question, um, and 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 it prompted me to try to figure out everything I could with existing evidence um, uh, about where this really started. And so people will remember back uh, at the earliest uh, time point uh, when we first learned about this that a lot of the cases were linked to this uh, Huanan seafood market. Uh, and it's a bit of a misnomer because it didn't just sell seafood. It also sold live mammals like uh, exotic things to us called raccoon dogs that just look like a cross between a raccoon and a dog. But these animals were implicated in the first SARS 20 years ago. Uh, they were infected with, with that virus. And we know they're susceptible to SARS-2. And that's the kind of scenario that certainly if you just... Um, zoom out and and think about the most likely scenario for SARS two to have uh, emerged. It's a repeat of SARS one that th these animals uh, can be a bridge between the ultimate hosts of these SARS related viruses, which are bats uh, and humans, 
and they they are potentially the way that the virus gets from the middle of nowhere uh, bat cave in china uh to a big city like like wuhan um but i've been very sort of uh, as a scientist um skeptical of of any theory and and so really in this study um what i wanted to do is once I got my hands on data on the residential addresses or or locations of the first 200 or so people who are known to have COVID in Wuhan. So we have dots on a map all over uh, greater Wuhan. Um, What I wanted to do actually is, is try to disprove the theory that they all clustered around this market. Um, and, uh, and so that's what, that's what my colleagues and I set, set out to, to do. So what conclusion, uh, did you reach, obviously you're talking about zoonotic spillover, um, uh, to use that, I guess that's the proper term, but, but what sure. conclusion did you reach and how did you get there? Yeah. So, so it was a, it was a two component study. Uh, and, and first, when we did look at the location of these early cases, um, we found that far from excluding the idea that there was an association between where the early cases lived and the market, uh, they pointed directly uh, at the market. Uh, the, the, the earliest cases lived extremely near the market. And they also, if you kind of took their central, uh, the, the center point of the cluster, it was basically overlaid directly on the market in, in a way that was remarkable. Um, also, actually, w- w- one of the most interesting things was, we know, as I said, we know a lot of the earliest people who got infected worked at the market. So what we did was we said, okay, Let's kick those ones out of the analysis. We knew th- we know that they were linked to the market. What about the people who you know, were asked, did you work there? Did you visit there? Did you know anyone who did? And they said, no, no, and no. They had no known connection to the market. Well, it turns out they lived even closer and more centralized uh, uh, around uh, the market than the, the cases as a whole. And what that told us was, the first people in this city, in this big 8,000 square kilometer city uh, who were infected in the community generally were those who were living in the neighborhoods around the market, presumably as people who worked at the market, then went outside into nearby shops, restaurants, uh, and so forth, infected local uh, businesses, and then people who lived in the community interacted with those businesses and it starts slowly spreading from from there um so that that was that was the first part of the study and it seems like i mean when you think about the way that these uh viruses spread that seems like the logical answer it just got lost apparently in a, in a lot sort of i gather in a lack of data or or you know just in a lot of different uh obstacles that were put in the way because that seems like the logical way that this would have spread given as you were mentioning earlier our experiences with the first sars virus which many canadians will remember uh absolutely um and uh and yeah, you have to remember that um, we're we're coming in contact with viruses that um, 
are infecting animals on a daily basis. You know, hundreds, thousands of people around the world uh, are are contacting even bats in the wild, and and you know, in villages near caves that house bats that um, that harbor viruses related to SARS-CoV-2, the, the COVID-19 virus, uh, in some areas, two to three percent of the people will have antibodies against those viruses. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us that it's happening all the time, but that most of the time, the the bat virus or the virus uh, that's moving from a bat to another animal and then to a human is not able to actually do its thing in a human. It it, it might get there and infect a few cells, um, but it's not able to produce a, 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 a productive enough infection that that person then transmits the, the virus onto the next person. And it's obviously a very rare thing you know, it happened with SARS-1, and then it happened 20 years later with SARS-2, where all the stars align to get the rare virus in a bat that actually has a, a receptor that, uh, or, or a, a protein on the outside of it that is, is the right kind of shape for the receptor on our cell that serves as the, the docking station. Um, most bat viruses can't actually jump into a human. Uh, and then to take that into a big city like like Wuhan. I'm speaking with uh, Dr. Michael Warby. He's an evolutionary biologist and professor and head of the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at the University of Arizona. We're talking about uh, new work uh, that he and a team have done uh, to uh, look at the origins of COVID-19, uh, a, a very controversial topic uh, right around the world. Uh, the article that you've written in the Globe and Mail is called uh, COVID-19 almost certainly did not come from a lab leak. Here's how we know. When we come back, we'll talk about how you disproved that theory while at the same time uh, landing on the fact that it probably did indeed emerge from that uh, wet market in Wuhan as had already been as had been first uh, believed. We'll be back with that. Our guest this half hour is Canadian Dr. Michael Warby. He's an evolutionary biologist and professor and head of the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at the University of Arizona. We're talking about research that he's done, he and a team have done, uh, concluding or trying to find the origins of COVID-19, a much talked about, a much debated subject. Uh, we've talked about why the belief is, the conclusion was that it very likely came uh, from a wet market in Wuhan. This was a zoonotic spread from animal to human. Uh, you also mentioned, because this has been something you've been talking about quite a bit, uh, the theory of the lab leak. And you went about disproving the theory of the lab leak. And that was a really interesting aspect of your research. How did you go about doing that? What did you find? Yeah, and I wouldn't say we've disproved it. No. You know, pr proving and disproving is really for, for mathematicians. and, right. and no absolutes. <laughs> My apologies. Yeah, yeah we, we, but, but the, the, the overwhelming, uh, uh, the, the evidence is overwhelmingly in favor of uh, a natural origin of this through wild, the wildlife trade connected to this particular market. Um, and just briefly, before I go into the details of what was going on inside the market, uh, I just want to add that there, there, there were two early distinct lineages of this virus in Wuhan in 2019. Uh, and one of the things that came out of our geographical analysis was 
uh, one of them had already been shown to be linked to the market. And the thinking was that that was the only one that was linked to the market. We showed that the other one was linked as well. Uh, and that really, again, showed that the epicenter of the market, uh, uh, the epicenter of the pandemic was this market. And so then the question is, okay, how did both of these lineages, how did how did this become the epicenter? How did the virus get there? Uh, and, and for that, we looked within the market and, and it turned out that uh, the market was shut down, you know, within days of public health authorities learning about the connection between early COVID cases and the Huanan market. Um, unfortunately, the live animals that we show in our paper had been for sale there. One way or the other, they had disappeared and were, were not sampled. Uh, uh, so we don't have the luxury of live uh, samples from those live animals to say, okay, we've caught, we've got the smoking gun. We've got a, a fox that was sold in stall number 10 that that has uh, the progenitor virus. But what authorities did do was swab surfaces from dozens and dozens of these stalls that were selling different things from seafood to vegetables to, in several cases, live mammals. Uh, things like doorknobs, floors, walls, but in other cases, very animal-associated surfaces like cages, uh, uh, carts used to move cages, feather removers. Um, and what we showed in, in our paper was that you could actually predict the highest concentration uh, of sites within the market uh, that had positive environmental swab samples for SARS-CoV-2 uh, with two things. Uh, you tell me if a stall was positive for a human case, uh, and I'll tell you, okay, it's more likely that you're going to find, you know, a doorknob or a floor sample that's positive. But if you tell me a stall was selling live wildlife, uh, equally, I can tell you with statistically uh, high confidence it's more likely that you're going to find a surface there, uh, and in particular, a cage or a, 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 a cart for moving a cage that is positive uh, for the, the virus. Um, and it was, in fact, the, the southwest corner of the western section of the market that, that sort of lights up as the strongest concentration of these so-called environmental positive uh, samples. Uh, and that's just the same area that was the 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 corner of the market that sold uh, the 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 bulk of the live wildlife, and to to take things one step further, and this was like just kind of mind blowing. Uh, in 2014, one of our co-authors, a guy named Eddie Holmes, who's a professor in Sydney now, an English guy, he had been taken to that market when he was visiting collaborate collaborators in Wuhan. Uh, as an example of a place, not, 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 definitely not. Okay, here's the here's the market where the next pandemic's going to start. But he was taken there by public health uh, colleagues, uh, and and shown the, the the market as the sort of interface between 
animals like raccoon dogs and humans that could uh, bring and uh, viruses from animals in, into humans. And he snapped photos uh, in, in a particular stall uh, of raccoon dogs in a cage. Well, that's the stall actually that we've uh, found using data collected by Chinese colleagues had the highest number of SARS-CoV-2 positive uh, samples. So we can't say for sure that that stall is where this started. Uh, but it's pretty uh, remarkable. Um, and when you put it all together, all of the evidence makes sense in in uh, uh, in light of a origin of this pandemic at this market from wildlife being sold there. Um, and literally none of it makes sense uh, with any other hypothesis that's put, been put forward, uh, including the idea that it came from a lab. Dr. Michael Warby, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.